We can be found on YouTube, iTunes, and Spotify. Like, share, subscribe, and leave us a comment down below. Now, on with the show. Okay. We'll do it live. Okay. Fucking thing. We'll, no. we'll do it live. Right. Fuck it. Death Holler is a horror cast created by two true horror fans to bring to the table your favorite horror films. Topics include, but are not limited to, historical horror, gore, the occult, and terror. Listener discretion is advised. I don't, we'll just go into the film. Um, I'm going to go, and we'll, we'll just discuss things that we like about the movie. There's no real reason to go through this, like, you know, detail for detail. I've got notes in here, you know, for things, that, you know, in case we want to go into them. But I want to start out by just starting, uh, you know, the movie itself, like the beginning of it. That that whole intro scene with the, the courtroom is one of my, you know, I think that's a great way to start this movie because it sets up so much in the film. I mean, you got the creepy pedophile teacher and you got, you know, Kevin who's trying to defend him, but then there's that whole scene where the girl's talking about how the, the pedophile teacher touched her. And then, you know, Kevin, well, there's two things in that scene. First of all, first of all, it shows Kevin like, you know, tapping his foot on a uh, briefcase and when the other lawyer or whoever's beside of him looks down, you know, to tell him, you know, kind of hint at him, he needs to stop doing that. We get a, you know, a visual of these uh, black, skin, you know, alligator skin boots or whatever that right off the bat sets up Kevin as being like this kind of a vain, you know, like uh, character. It kind of sets, I think it's like a visually, it's a good way to set up his personality. And then I did not <laughs> catch that. I mean, I, I know the scene you're talking about. I did not catch that with the alligator skin boots. Yeah, and it's and he kind of looks down. And he just he you know he kind of stops or whatever. But then you get that, and you're like, okay, he's he's that kind of guy. He's really into you know, you know that sort of stuff. And then you go from that, and you have the, uh, of course, the scene where the girl's describing what happened to her whenever the teacher you know the teacher was touching her, and you know Lomax looks over and he sees the teacher you know or but beneath like the little you know desk that they're at, kind of making these like little. Uh, things with his hand or whatever like he's rubbing on her body or something and that's whenever you and yeah. it's just it's so creepy and then you see it and Keanu does I mean one of the best acting jobs he's done is probably in this film you see it in his face he's like oh my god you sick fuck you really did this you know like you catch that immediately just from his facial you know features in, in that scene and I think, and you know, and especially later when he goes into the bathroom right after that and he's having the moral, you know, dilemma of like, do I continue defending this guy? I know I can win this, if I, but uh, do I want to do that? And, you know, knowing what he knows about it, I think it's a good setup to the film. I, you know, it really gets you in there quick to, you know, know what you're kind of dealing with right off the bat. Um, That was a hard scene, like emotionally and... I mean, it's a really good setup, though. It, I mean, everything is in that scene of what you're going to see. It's almost like steps that you'll see in the whole movie of morality and judgment and just all these different things that he's going to experience. That's the setup. The film set it up right there, and, and it circles back several times to that that thing too. I mean, there's a scene later in the movie, not to jump ahead, but. Whenever he sees, whenever he's at Eddie Barzoon's funeral later on in the film, and I just noticed this today, that was one of the things I was telling you, I noticed upon a third, you know, watching of the movie, uh, which I'm going to throw out there first. This is the type of movie, you watch it once, enjoy it, go back and rewatch it, because you'll, you'll, you'll get more, you'll appreciate more from this movie. They really layered a lot of stuff oh, into yeah. it. But uh, when it goes back, whenever he's at Eddie Barzoon's funeral, and he's sitting there, and then uh, and Cullen comes in, Cullen has his stepdaughter, Alessandra, with him. And when he's sitting there Ugh. and she she does this thing where she like lowers down her coat and she reveals her neck, and there's a whole scene earlier in the movie where and it because like I said, it all layers on itself, where Milton is telling Marianne at one point 
about how the neck is like the border town, like a man's like, you know, physical attraction or something like that, you know, mm-hmm. and she lowers her coat down and she reveals her neck and her shoulders, just like, you know, Milton was talking about to be seductive. And then you have this scene where Cullen's like rubbing on her back and he's doing the same exact hand motion as the pedophile teacher, the same exact one. Yeah. It was like, it was nasty too. I knew right off the bat when he said, and we'll get into the whole him calling, getting in trouble. I have a stepdaughter that means more than anything to me than anything else. And I was like, this this sounds creepy already. Yeah. I should have thought of that. I don't know. I was too trapped. I was too caught up. I guess like, you know, Kevin was in the film of, you know, trying to deal with everything else, not even go down that route of assuming that's where Cullen was going with his, you know, his extramarital affair, you know, but. I was disgusted to find that I wasn't wrong, so. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the terrible part. And they do go in the movie a little bit, and and, and I don't know, you can view it as ham-fisted or just like, you know, it's, it's a more of a way to show the audience like a direct link, but he does for a split second at, in that scene later in the movie uh, at the funeral, Colin turns into the pedophile teacher for just a split second. Yeah. And so, and he looks back and he kind of gives a knowing look to, you know, uh, Lomax kind of like, you know, well, you know what I'm doing, you know, this, <laughs> you, you, you know yeah. what's happening now. Um, so I just thought, I mean, but going back to the beginning of the movie, just that, that scene where it just that, that little bit, that hand motion. And then just, you know, cause it's a, it's, you know, it's, it's almost a blink and you'll miss it. Cause it, I mean, if you're one of those people, it's like, you know, always looking at your phone or, you know, glancing back at your phone while you're watching movies, you're going to miss that scene. Cause I mean, it, it's, it's there and it's, it, and it pays off so much like throughout the whole film and especially the intro, but you've got to be watching. And that's, that's this movie in general. I feel like you've got to really be paying attention if you want to get the most out of it. Oh Yeah. The scene in the bathroom following that kind of, you know, plays into the, that too. Uh, there's something that's that's that figures in later, actually, from that scene whenever the reporter, Larry, is telling him, it's like, you're going to chalk up a loss today, buddy, you know, as he's walking out the bathroom. I didn't realize this till today whenever I was rewatching it, uh, again for the third time. Milton, in the final scene where he's you know, reveals who he is to, to Lomax and, and all that, actually reveals that he was Larry because he uses the same exact line. And he was like, he, he starts it out by saying, how hot was that courtroom that day for you? You know, and, and then he's like, and then he says the exact line that Larry says at the beginning of the movie to let you know that he was Larry. And that's how he's been keeping an eye on, you know, Keanu the entire, this entire time. I did not <laughs> fucking catch that. Yeah, it's, it's. Uh... I mean, at the end, I'll be, <laughs> I don't want to spoil alert. I will cut that out. <laughs> so, uh. But yeah, and it's just like okay, that's that's cool that they even that they tied back to you know. So that that whole the whole intro is is if nothing else, you really need to, I mean you know, and and of course it it further goes on the show you know just Kevin's ability to both read and you know his witness stand, uh, their feelings and generally how to work them, but also his ability as a lawyer to know what to bring up and how to work you know the person that he's trying you know that's on the witness stand because. Even though it looks like cut and dry in that scene with the little girl, I mean, anybody listening to that was like, okay, this guy's done, he's toast. Kevin comes in there and and really does a good job of like giving you a little bit of doubt as to like you know the validity of the the testimony because when he brings up you know the stuff that the the girl wrote about the you know the teacher and how she was having this kind of like you know little party with her friends and all that I mean he he layers it together enough to you're like okay I buy this guy as an expert lawyer he knows how to work the person you know. Yeah. And you get all that in that first intro scene, so I I think that's a that's a good scene to start the movie out on. It kind of sets up so much after that. The writing in that scene was amazing. Like they, it's like they had a lawyer write it. Actually, <laughs> that's true. The only thing that I that I hate about that scene, well, I don't hate it. The only thing that that I was told one time that you know that whole thing where it's like I've got. And they do it in all the lawyer, you know, like TV shows, films, that sort of thing, where it's like, I've got surprise testimony or I've got surprise evidence that, you know, I'm just now letting everybody see. And here you go. You know, I've heard from like real life lawyers that that happens like next to none, like any time. And they, they kind of address it in the movie because the other the prosecutor is really pissed off. He's like the time for, you know, revealing, you know, uh, additional, uh, you know, evidence was is came and gone. 
but in real life, they really, I mean, it's supposed to work to where both sides get to see the, you know, and kind of form a, you know, kind of a, their own defense or kind of, you know, how they're going to work the evidence one way or the other. They've got to be able to see it prior to it being introduced in court. So anytime you see that and like, once I heard that, I was like, okay, that makes sense. So anytime I see it in like a law film, I mean, they, they, they use it to spice up the scene, but you know, how often it happens in real life is supposed to be next to none just because of that fact. Yeah. But, you know, that's just one of those things. That's a, that's a movie, you know, like, I mean, they do that with all professions, you know, like, you know, any kind of like cops or anything like that. They always like, you know, have to amp it up a little bit and add stuff that wouldn't actually be the case. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, that's true. It's just, I don't know. I bought it. I guess what I'm it, saying as a viewer, you're like, you, you're right. You don't know that it's going to. You don't know that it's going to end the, or end or even go the way that it goes. Excuse me is what I meant to say. Um, yeah. And I mean, it's, and I mean, it, it works as far as just the movie goes. And like I said, they did address it because the prosecutor does, you know, say, hey, you know, this isn't right. He doesn't have the, you know, we've already, you know, we've already shown what evidence, you know, he, where did this come from? That sort of thing. Is there any scenes, you know, immediately after that uh, up until the part? Because what I would like to discuss next is really the party scenes. Is there anything between that and, you know, the the, the beginning that you were really focused on that, that you wanted to bring up? Um, The party scene. Define the party scene. Is this when he's at Milton's? Or not Milton's. It's actually, uh, whose party well, was it? Well, Milton was the one that was putting it on, but it was like everybody was involved. All the people in the law firm. That was one where they actually, you mentioned it in the kind of like text or whatever about the Republicans were there, like the elite Republicans. Okay. That that whole scene, because I feel like that's a, a real big setup scene too for a lot of stuff that happens in the movie. And of course. Yes, I have two scenes I want to mention okay, before that okay. actually. One of the scenes I want to mention is that um, John Milton, when he was basically interviewing Kevin, and wasn't really an interview, if we're being honest, but he was talking to Kevin, and he mentions that he had 64 straight convictions. And he said specifically, 64, what a number. While me, being kind of big into numerology, kind of knowing the difference of numbers, what numbers are what, and things like that, and I have to look it up. I'm not a master or anything. But I had looked up uh, what 64 is, kind of like in biblical terms, is what I was, it was what I was going for. That's not exactly what I got, but what I did was, hold on, get to my notes here. Okay, so the number 64 in, I guess, biblical terms is how you might describe it, is like, is has a meaning. And what it means is it's a message from your quotation mark guardian angel about imperfections, change, and truth. And let's be honest, Lucifer is technically an angel. That's true. So it just because it's it's not, and he's acting as a guardian angel, that doesn't mean it's necessarily a good thing, though. <laughs> so I found that interesting. I was like, oh, okay. I was like, because there was a lot of that in this film. There, there, there's a um, lot of stuff like th that, yeah. Oh, big time. So that kind of, that really captured me. That was one of the first big details I noticed when watching the film pretty much almost every time, except for the very first time that I watched this film. I was really young. Um, and then the next one, it's not really an episode, but it happens pretty early on. When they move into this apartment building, which reminded me, it gave me a lot of Rosemary's Baby vibes. Right, yes. It, I mean, except for the fact that they were changing colors and things like that. Changing the colors of the walls in that apartment that they lived in was one of the ways, one of the first ways that I noticed that Jackie, which was the next door neighbor, Jackie Heath, started to break Marianne down. Oh, yes. It was just the nagging. one. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it was bearing on her soul. I mean, here she is in the big city, no job, really doesn't feel like she has any importance. It didn't really clarify what she was in Florida, although I'm going to assume she was either not some kind of attorney, but she did something. She talked about there was something about car rentals or, or used cars or something like that. She was like making a deal with somebody before she left. So there was something similar. To yeah, that. I do yeah. remember that. So that's just one of the things I wanted to discuss before we get into the thick of the film is that, you know, they move, 
uh, and you had said too about the Rosemary's vibe, uh, Rosemary's baby vibes about how, you know, yes, they get there. You got the big wig guy that is kind of making things happen. She's kind of getting pushed aside, kind of being lied to. There is talks about a baby, you know, let's make a baby. Uh, People think that making babies makes things better, I guess. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) <laughs> well, I mean, there, so, there's a lot of little comparisons you can make. I mean, the fact that, you know, I mean, which it's a scene that, that's discussed later, but I mean, she's literally raped by the devil in this movie. I mean, so, you know, just like Rosemary was. Oh, yeah. I mean, she's made to be out to be a crazy person by everybody around her. Um, she's forced into basically uh, just living in that apartment. I mean, there's really, she has nobody else to associate with. Uh, I, I would actually argue that Rosemary probably gets out and does more shopping at least, or, or gets out and does more things and, you know, Rosemary's baby than Marianne actually gets to do in this film. Yeah. And just a, a, lot, a lot of little things like that, that kind of like, you know, make the two kind of similar. I mean, you know, they're, they're not exactly the same, you know, obviously, but but I mean, it's, it's, you know, along those lines where you kind of get that vibe from it, you know, at least on her side of it. And, um, going back one thing, I kind of mentioned it earlier cause, uh, you know, you mentioned Heath or whatever, you know, Mrs. Heath, uh, next door, her husband, when he first pops up, I just think that's, you know, well, there's two things I want to mention before that. First of all, that scene where uh, Kevin is like out is partying with, you know, his wife and, you know, Larry and whoever else it was that was with him whenever they're at the bar the scenes where uh, Kevin and, uh, you know, uh, Marianne are, like, dancing, man, they're, you know, really getting into it. I mean, that, you know, it goes, it really sets up later on, like, you know, how wild, you know, the at least the two of them, but specifically uh, Kevin can be or whatever when it comes to, like, his lust, you know, side of his personality. But, like, he's literally, like, yeah. licking her ass on the dance floor in one scene. I mean, that's, you know, <laughs> that's kind of out there for, you know. I didn't even, I didn't even think about that. I What I was thinking at time, that time is, like, no couple at that age really does that like you you get to an age where you tone down that's more of a like you know early 20s kind of early to mid 20s kind of thing so i was kind of laughing that one off but it does make sense now what but, you're saying but i mean you think about it i mean it's 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 clearly shown to be a christian conservative town uh, you know, he's a respected member of the community. I, you, it's hard. I mean, especially being from the Bible Belt, seeing him going out and being willing to be that out, you know, just that, you know, promiscuous out in public, you know, and out in front of everybody. Cause I mean, I'm sure anybody in that bar was like, Oh, there's, you know, Lomax licking his wife's ass on the dance floor. It's like, you know, it's just, it's, it's, it was an out there scene, at least, you know, as far as that goes, but it sets him up later as being, okay, maybe he is that kind of, you know, maybe that was showing how lust, you know, lust filled he was as a, you know, a character. And then, well, (laughs) Reverend, I kind of have a little bit of a spoiler alert for you. What's that? He's the son of the well, devil. <laughs> <laughs> you don't say, uh, you know. Is, is that how he got his abilities to be able to read people? Who who would have never who would have ever thought that? Um, I thought about that actually. We'll discuss that later. But um, but anyways, the scene right after that, uh, the reason I go back to that party scene is the fact when Heath's introduced, there's this line there that I just thought, you know, especially with everything that's went on in the past couple of years, you know, and, you know, like 2020, 2021, where he walks up and like, you know, Lomax takes it as a joke whenever Heath walks up and says, hey, I'm, you know, come to hire you. He has this line in the movie and I mean, it fits. I mean, don't get me wrong. It fits for the area and the time, but he's like... He's like, who said this black guy? I think he literally says a line like that. He's like, a black guy coming to, you know, he's like, you know, who's, who, which Joker did this, you know? So he's playing it off like, you know, like this, you know, it's kind of a weirdly, you know, it's a weird racist scene or whatever. He's just like, you know, dismissing that, it you know, is. that this guy, you know, the African American characters could walk up and just, you know, be part of this big high ranking New York firm. So that's, I just thought that was kind of a weird scene. That's probably the only scene in the movie that I don't really see like any kind of payback for later. Cause you don't really see that part of his personality ever surface again. Like he never really does that to anybody yeah. else, you know, it was kind of out there. <sighs> I guess it was trying to drive home the point that he did not believe that this person was there to offer him any kind of great deal until he gets handed that piece of paper, which I assumed was like a check or some kind of legal document stating, hey, this is what we want, this is what we need, and this is what we're offering. Right. It's just, I don't know, it it just stood out in my mind when I was watching. I was like, man, that's kind of out there, you know, but... Uh, Yeah, I watched it twice. I was like, am I, what am I missing? And I'm, this is me agreeing with you. 
I was wondering what I missed about this scene that ties into the film. It really doesn't. No, because I mean, he he works with another you know black man, and later in, or you know early you know end of the, his time with Milton's firm, and there none of that comes up like whatsoever. I mean, there's there's, there's none of that. So I don't. I mean, I don't know what that. Yeah, was. no hostility is held. They they get along just fine. They're like besties after that, practically. You know. Yeah, it was like well. They're, they're, I got the vibe from that guy later in the film, uh, Philippe or whatever his name was, that that it's just like, okay, I know you're the son of the guy that I'm, you know, praying to. So, uh, you know, we're going to work together. We're going to make sure this works out. But that's kind of the vibe I got. We're going to make sure you're good and comfortable. Right. Um, and one other thing I want to mention before the party scene is that I don't know if you, mentioned, you noticed this, but Milton's building's name was Penta Plaza. And I just thought that was the kind of a, the Penta part of it. I was like, hmm, pentagram, pinnacle, that, you know, that's kind of, you know, an interesting little thing they slipped in there. Yeah, actually. And that's probably exactly what they were doing uh, when they named it that. I didn't catch the name of the building. So for shame on me. <laughs> um, I did catch, though, however. So we're talking a little bit about. Um, Mr. Heath and how, you know, he's basically working with the guy who he's bowing down to and praying to, et cetera. But his wife made sure when she was kind of, when they were explaining the apartments to, you know, um, to Marianne kind of, and Kevin, they said, yeah, it took us six years to get into this. Like they, like she was a little bit hostile right. about it, like almost pissed. Like, why do you guys Literally, you just arrived from Florida, of all places, and you just get to move in. And so I was like, does she not know? She doesn't know. <laughs> well, there's that, and that also plays in your Rosemary's Baby vibes, too, because, I mean, it was like the Brantford was like, you know, or whatever they called it in that that movie, uh, was like uh, the, you know, it it was so exclusive, it was hard for anybody to get into. So it kind of, you know, that vibe came up again, you know, from that that whole uh, conversation. Um. The only scene that I can uh, think of outside of what you just discussed that I wanted that just came to my mind was I really like that scene where uh, Milton uh, takes Lomax and they're kind of walking down the street. You know, when he first like meets him, he's like, you know, walk with me. You know, kind of come down through here, and he's kind of you know like talking to him. I think it's after the rooftop, rooftop scene, which is is good too. But I like this scene better where they're walking together and it's like, he, he points out, he's like, look at you. He's like, you know, got the, you know, the accent, big and tall. He's like, you stand out in the crowd. He's like, look at me. He's like, nobody believes that I'm, you know, can do what I can do. He's like, that's what you got to do. You got to, you got to, you got to surprise them. You got to, you know, and uh, there was something about the way he. Never let them know never you're Never let coming. them know you're coming. That's exactly what he says. And I love that scene because it fits a perfectly what Satan would do. He wouldn't want to stand out. He wouldn't work behind the scenes and, you know, and not really reveal his true strength or power to you. And at the same time, I mean, it, it, it also is a great way for the, the people who's writing the script to kind of discuss why, uh, you know, how Al Pacino could be like the devil, because obviously he's, you know, he's shorter, you know, like, I mean, he's got the personality and the charisma, don't get me wrong, but it's like, you know, he doesn't have the physical attributes you would associate. He's not, you know, uh, like, you know, on the loose for the TV show, you know, obviously he doesn't have the, you know, the looks, uh, or Tom was his name's Ellison, I believe. And, uh, you know, he doesn't have that, you know, that kind of presence. So, you know, it's kind of a good way to kind of explain that away. And it, it, it really fits, I think. I think that's a good, you know, way that they brought that in. Yeah, I, I liked it. It made, I don't know, I guess it just made sense because you could tell he's training him. He's training him for the, to be the next in line of the throne, basically. You know? Yeah, everything he's doing at that point. And, and and this, I mean, I'll just throw this out there. That's one of the things I like about some of the scenes early on with him is he's always giving this look. Like, he's it's kind of like this smirk that he's giving. But it, you look in his eyes yeah. and it's like he knows, like, everything. He knows everything that's going on. There's nothing that this guy doesn't know. It's always like, okay, you know, you think you know what you're talking about. But, you, you know, like, he doesn't tell you yes or no that you're, you know, kidding yourself. But it's like you get that look from him. It's like, I know what's going to happen. It ain't what you think it's going to be you know it's it's he gets that vibe through the whole like movie but especially the beginning of it whenever he like it kind of shows him in the background and scenes yeah and he does it so well it's realistic yeah it, it really fits um and speaking of that whenever we really get you know into some of the scenes with him it's the party scene and, I, and that's one of the, the scenes that i really think stands out in the movie because so much happens in this scene um 
Oh my God. We we get obviously there's a little bit of trivia here. There's some kind of mention. They're talking about these uh, elite Republicans we kind of talked about, or, or you know, kind of assembled. And there's a uh, and you hear Pam, you know, mention something about well, Donald Trump was supposed to be here, but he got you know caught up in an emergency uh, business meeting with Mort Zuckerman or something, and he couldn't make it. So there was a little little jab at Trump there in the movie. You know, this predates everything. I'm glad you had the name because <laughs> I could not. I replayed that like two or three times, and I was like, I heard Zuckerberg. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not the Zuckerberg who I'm thinking of. So yeah, I heard that name and I'm like, wait a minute, are they that psychic that they knew while that was going on? And I was like, no, they said Zuckerman, so that's a little bit better. But I just thought that was a funny little thing, especially given you know recent you know history or whatever that they would throw that in there. And then of course, I mean, you have you have the the setup to the scene before he gets into all that about how Marianne tells Kevin before they go there. It's like, okay, we're new here. I don't know anybody. Uh, please tell me you're going to stay with me during this. And he's like, sure. You know, I'll I'll, I'll oh, be yeah. with you the entire time. And of course, I'm glad you mentioned that. <laughs> and because that does not happen. No, that doesn't. Um, so uh, in the in you know, hobnobbing and doing all the stuff that he's doing. And, and there's a, there's a lot of background stuff. If you're watching it, that's setting up different things. I mean, you're seeing some of the characters interact. You're seeing how kind of, I mean, you hear some of the people talking and you get some, how morally corrupt all these people are that are in this meeting. Cause they're talking about just all this shady business stuff that nobody, you know, should be proud of doing. And they're just like, yeah, well, I, I bought the guy out and blah, blah, blah. And I mean, it's just a lot of that, you know, when you're seeing the scene. So that kind of sets up the kind of the types you're dealing with, but then, you get like some of these scenes like with individual characters broken off that really, you know, later on, you know, develop into things in the movie. And one of them for sure is the scene where Milton gets time alone with Marianne. I mean, that is a very big scene in this, uh, I feel like in this this whole oh party scene. Oh my God, yeah. Because... Well, it gets set up by what he called, what did he call the women? The sharks? Yeah, the sharks. He's like, you know, he, he's trying to warn her. He's like, you know, you don't want to necessarily be around this crowd. They'll eat you alive, you know, and... <laughs> yeah, and he did. They set that up because those women, those sharks, if you will, really kind of build built an appeal for him. They really like, oh, you know, so he's you know got this mysterious ways about him and blah 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 and things that they would do, you know, over sexualizing him. And that I mean, not saying that it lit a spark. You didn't really see anything, but. Then he takes her, and I'll let you continue with the rest. <laughs> so he's sitting there, and he's talking to her, and of course, you know, they, they start out, and they're just talking about And I mean, even from the get-go, I mean, you get this vibe. It's like there's something between them. I mean, it's it's great between both actress and actor. I mean, Theron and, you know, Pacino. They're really selling it. It's like she, you know, you get this vibe from her that, like, she doesn't want to be attracted to him, but there's something compelling about him. And, of course, he's just selling, you know, Every time he's with anybody, he's, you know, selling the sex. I mean, through his eyes, through his, you know, actions, you know. So you get that from the get-go. But then they start talking. And, and first thing they talk about is, her, you know, her family kind of leading into some stuff. And, you know, he's kind of, you know, trying to, you know, get in her good graces, basically. And there's this great little line they have back and forth where she's talking about how uh, the uh, she she specifically mentions how about her family life and she says the only thing worse than not having a father was having mine and of course he has to respond back and it's so good you know considering the reveal later that he's Satan spoiler alert uh, where he's like tell me about it you know like he knows perfectly about having a difficult father and that's such a good line knowing what you know the the movie goes into it's like you know they do a lot of that through the movie but that's one of the better ones I think. Um, he has such daddy issues. <laughs> yeah, he sure does. Uh, in all incarnations of the character, usually. Um, and then, of course, it moves from all that talk to in the kind of the seduction scene. And that's where, and he does a little bit of nagging on her, too. I mean, it's not just, I don't know if he means to or if he's really, I don't know what his motive is in this. And it's kind of hard to say because he, he legit comes off as, as looking like, okay, you, you color your hair, your natural hair color dark is, is, is more beautiful. Uh, maybe you want to, you know, put it up so, you, you know, and, and kind of show more of your neck. And then he goes to this whole discussion, which we kind of mentioned earlier, about how the neckline and the shoulders of the border town to a man's desires. And, you know, and, and so he's really laying it on thick there in that scene. And, you know, you can really tell she's, you know, responding to it because he, he convinces her. I mean, she immediately goes out and changes everything, which could be a sign that she's falling for him. But, I mean, it's however you want to read that. Um, but yeah. I, I don't know if it's like his intention was to, you know, because when he does that, 
you know, I, uh, like I discussed with you, it's almost like the Samson moment from the Bible. It's like whenever she agrees to cut her hair, she takes her power, at least with regards to like Kevin, and it's like it's gone after that point. I mean, there's a lot of other things that contribute. I mean, her being, you know, always scared and crying and all that, and that kind of, you know, you know, affects, you know, his view of her. And of course he's already by this point kind of been, you know, weirdly attracted for no real reason to Christabella. And, you know, that could be like a more of a mystical supernatural connection the two of them have. But like when she cuts her hair, it's like, you know, at that point on in the movie, it's like he kind of loses, you know, he doesn't really have the same desire for her. Like he had in that bar scene at all, you know? Yeah. And, it's not the same. It, like, completely, if anything, just diminishes. And I don't know if that was Milton's way of getting her to do that so that she she would go to the wayside and Christabella would come into the forefront. I could see that being the case. But, I mean... Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I I would have a hard time believing anybody could argue that. Um, but on the other side of it, I mean, he plays it off so well that it almost sounds like he really does think that she would be more beautiful, like, you know... Uh, showing her natural beauty is kind of the way he sells it. Of course, you know, the devil being the salesman that he is, he's selling you a bad, you know, bill of goods. So maybe that's, you know, part and parcel, but it's just, you know, I don't know. It, it's, I'm conflicted on that scene because I mean, I, I can see it working both ways, you know, like he legit thinks that she's more beautiful the way she is, but then at the same time, he knows that's going to turn, you know, Kevin away from her. Well, I mean, I believe at one point of the scene, he's like, I don't make you do anything. I just present it and you're the one who makes the choice. And that's, that's his get, you know, get out of jail card in my opinion. Exactly. And that, and that, you know, I think he knows the intent behind it. You know, it does probably might not always go his way. Although in this film, it seems like it does always go his (laughs) way. Pretty much all the time. And of course, after you have that whole scene with the two of them setting up things later on, you have the scene where, you know, Kevin, you know, has, it goes out in the balcony, I believe it is, or at least a separate area outside where, you know, him and Christabella, you know, were talking to each other or Christabel and, uh, and like, and that kind of sets up their, you know, the lust for each other throughout the movie because he finally gets some alone time with her. I'm going to throw out there right now though, and that, you know, this kind of feeds in some trivia later. At this point in the movie, I could not buy him going for her over Charlize Theron. I couldn't, personally, I couldn't see it. I mean, that's not to say that, uh, you know, the actress who was playing Christabella is, you know, ugly by any means. She's not. I mean, she's still even, you know, was it 20 years on in the, you know, the, the new movies for, you know, the DC we talked about. She's gorgeous in those. But, I mean, it's just like... I didn't see, I was like, what, you know, look what he's got. Was he, what, what is the attraction here? Uh, the only thing I could describe it as in my head is there, there was a supernatural link between them. That's what got the whole thing started. Cause I couldn't see him just immediately, you know, like, you know, going over to her. I mean, other than the fact that maybe that plays into his, you know, character flaws of being, you know, just, you know, he's always looking for the next piece or something. I don't know, but. Maybe there was something different about her because it was new and exciting. And sometimes that's what will ultimately break a marriage is that I just want to do something new and exciting. And you'll notice we made, we made comments about how they resembled each other at first, but then of course, Marianne kind of loses that when she listens um, to Milton. The thing is, is that they're in this new place. He's got the stress of the job. He, the first time he sees her, I believe she's speaking French. Can you back me up on that? Oh, she's speaking a foreign language, but I can't remember if it's French or Italian, but it's, it's one of the two. Yeah. 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 And so she's got this appeal to her. Um, in my eyes, she's, she's gorgeous. You know, every bit is gorgeous. Maybe not as gorgeous as Charlize Theron, but you know, in, in, in terms of actresses, they were similar. They just had different qualities, if you will. I don't know. Some guys just do stupid shit well, like that. That's true. Honestly. I mean, that's what happened when you're thinking with the wrong head. I didn't. I mean, it wasn't like I couldn't buy it. It was just like I was sitting there. I was like, okay, th- oh, yeah. this isn't as easy to buy as it would have been, you know, if it'd been another actress in that role of Marianne. I mean, I, I could have seen him moving on a lot easier if it hadn't been for what he, you know, what he already had. But yeah, you're, I mean, you're right. There's other things, you know. Well, 
yeah, but that's why you hear these stories or you see like these actors that have gotten trouble. They got these beautiful, gorgeous women at home, and then they get caught cheating on her with this donkey, and you're like, what the fuck? <laughs> well, that's true too. But in a lot of those cases, I mean, at least I mean, we're you know a little tangent here, but if we're going to talk about that, you know, there was the whole thing with Billy Bob Thornton where he made that comment that uh, you know, fucking uh, Angelina Jolie was like fucking a couch, and I mean, if if you have somebody who's like a dead fish, you know, then you know, okay, that you know, even if they are gorgeous, but I mean, you get no vibes at all, at especially in that scene in the club that Charlize yeah. Theron is anywhere like that at all. I mean, you know, so yeah, I, <laughs> oh, there's lots of reason guys do stupid things. Again, like I said, thinking with the wrong head. Okay. Yeah. So I mean, it, it wasn't uh, you know completely you know uh, unbelievable. It's just one of those things that kind of I was like, oh, okay, you know, yeah. but you're like, but regards to her, you know, her you know appearance or whatever, I felt like throughout the movie she goes more for uh, Marianne's look. Uh, you know, because it feels like her hair gets more, more of that, like, you know, volume to it and, and, you know, more of the perm, the farther in the movies, I mean, especially in that last scene in Milton's office, her hairstyle is almost exactly like Marianne's was like, I mean, even the smirks that she makes looks just like Marianne. Yeah. I mean, there was like so much that she took on. It seemed like of Marianne's, you know, just look and everything else throughout the movie. And, and I think that. The tipping point might have been the scene, you know, which we can get into later on where, you know, Kevin, you know, and, and Marianne have to talk about a baby and they, they try to make one. And then she, you know, realizes he's thinking of somebody else or something else while they're trying to make. But yeah, she asked him, where are yeah, you? Yeah. And, and which shows how, you know, how much, you know, intuition she's got. But I mean. Like, you know, in that scene, like when they're blended together, I just wonder if that's whenever more of the personality and more of the, the look started like merging between the two of them. At, at, I mean, that's kind of the tipping point, at least from what I can remember. I mean, the devil knows everything in this film, so it's probably that he literally saw that because he's a fucking creeper. <laughs> and then he's like, okay, this man still has no matter what. He, this was at the point where her hair was already cut and dyed, so he still has desire for her so that's probably something he took and was like okay this is how we need to amp it up we need to turn you into marianne if he's going to have any kind of desire for you whatsoever that's true if, he, if he's going to tip because he could sense that he still had the guilt and it would keep him you know from completing the act so that might have been his last little push to get you know where he needed to go with that there's a scene not too long after this that I want to discuss because I don't know what scene you're going to jump to. Well, next. the only thing I was going to say, and this is still part of the party scene, is uh, the whole scene where Milton mm-hmm. takes him upstairs into the, you know, and then they have the the phone call with Cullen. I really like that whole scene just because you get, I mean, you get a lot from Pacino in that scene. Like he's, you know, he's got the look, you know, that knowing smirk or whatever going on in the scene. He's setting up Barzoon to kind of fail in that scene. Cause he's like, really, you don't think that, you know, Kevin can take care of this. And, and then he's, and at the same time, he's doing all of that. He's also testing Kevin. Cause he's like, step up my boy, if you're going to take this and run with it, which he says several times about the movie, son, my boy and all that. And you get it as just like, you know, he's, yeah. you know, kind of, you know, just like a, you know, an affectionate term for the guy, but I mean, he's really revealing to the whole movie. It's like, no, you're my kid. <laughs> I mean, but I just like that scene because it, he's like, it's setting up a lot for the movie. It's setting up Barzoon. It's setting up, you know, Kevin and his ultimate test because, and, and, and it also is the thing that leads into the first marital spat between, you know, Marianne and Kevin, because he's up there for so long trying to take care of this situation for Milton that that takes him away from Marianne and they have this huge fight afterwards. So it's like the, you know, it, you've already got the, you know, Milton kind of getting in her head a little bit and kind of, you know, moving or, you know, getting rid of her sexual power a little bit by you know cutting her hair and all that but you also have him setting the two against each other at odds because and and granted he he gives kevin the chance he says he's like do you want to step up and take this he doesn't force him to do it and that's and that's consistent throughout the whole movie but he you know he knows kevin will do it and that's the other little wedge that starts between the the husband and wife in that scene yeah i mean and really ultimately just so much you see there's so much detail about how Marianne gets broken down after this scene after the party scene if, if you're ready to move on oh, are you talking bit. about the scene where she gets nagged yet again by Heath in the department store is that the scene you're going for I am the boob scene. <laughs> oh yes did you think I wasn't going to talk about titties in this? <laughs> first off those were fake titties <laughs> Really small, fake titties. But, you know, women do stupid shit like that in real life where they're like, hey, 
these are these are real. Grab them. And I think that is so fucking rapey. <laughs> <laughs> hey. Women are disgusting. Hey, take a hold of these. Uh, do you like what you're feeling here? <laughs> what do they feel like? And she said it, too. She's like, and I know how Marianne was like, real, totally real. She just wanted to get away from it. I felt so bad for her. Uh, th- that's how good the acting was. And she's like, oh, Dr. So-and-so, after she forced Marianne to touch her inappropriately. She, and, then, and then she throws um, that offhand comment. She's like, you might want to look into that yourself. You know, it's like, oh, man. <laughs> yes. So more, okay, morally just breaking her down, put, taking her out of a comfort zone. She really made her uncomfortable. And then we get one of the cool jump scare, scary scenes of a demon face. Yeah, that's where the first. That's I this I talked about titties, but I also wanted to talk about that demon the, the face. The first demon face in the film is in this scene. You're you're right, and that's when she's putting her yes. blouse back on, and you know, and she kind of looks with a smirk at you know, and but the demon face I didn't think was as good, but the next part I thought was the better part was like you could see these invisible like or these hands on the inside of her body like oh, rubbing up yeah. and down. That was the creepy part. That was the part that actually sold the scene. <laughs> Well, for me, all of it sold it because um, this was back in 1997, okay? We have seen some scary shit since then, okay? <laughs> and I was watching this, and I'm like, this actually holds up pretty good. It was exciting for me. I was like, that is fucking disgusting and gross. <laughs> I was going to say that's the one detraction to me is the CGI in the film. I would have probably preferred it if they'd done prosthetics or something, but it wasn't. It yeah. wasn't overused or so terrible that it took me out of the film. Like we were discussing earlier, it wasn't, I mean, it wasn't like with Unholy where it was like, you know, it, it was so CGI that it looked, you know, like cartoony. I mean, it, it fit. So I'll give them that much. It just wasn't, it was, it, you're, Rick Baker, for anybody who knows, uh, who did American Werewolf in London, one of the, probably the best prosthetic scenes ever, that transformation to a werewolf in that film. Um, he was the FX artist on this film, and I and it's just hard to see this knowing what he's capable of. It's just a, kind of a letdown for you know any kind of horror you know FX snobs basically. Kind of it's like eh, you kind of phoned mm. it in on this one a little bit, Baker. But you know whatever he I guess he I guess he has a you know he had a house to pay for or something at the time. He's just like, yeah, I'll knock something together for you, whatever. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> we'll just make it happen. I liked it. Well, so. as long- <laughs> all right, moving on. Unless you have something in between, the next scene that I love in the movie is the subway scene. It's probably the best scene in the movie. Oh, that's my next scene. Uh, Twinning. That that subway scene is the best scene in the film, and it's probably the best depiction of Satan that I've ever seen in a film in that one scene. It's, you know, it's it's a scene where there's the, you know, the couple, the, uh, I guess they're Mexican, Hispanic, they're, they're Spanish-speaking thugs or whatever on the, on the train. And, um... I don't know, and and they, you know, if, and Milton prompt or provokes him. I don't know if you remember in that or if you saw this in the scene. He's he's wide eyed and he's grinning at him, like he's he's wanting them to jump on him. He's he's trying to get them to start. Yeah. So he's like, you know, he's looking at him. He's like, you know, he's kind of got that, you know, kind of cocky smirk on his face, and and that kind of provokes him. He's like, what are you doing, you know? And like they're they're kind of get into it, and they threaten to cut him. And then when he starts speaking their language, or you know, the the main, you know, bad guys, you know, or thugs, you know, language, and and Spanish starts like going through, and it's like, you know. Did you know that uh, was it Mariana or Mariella or Marcel or something like that? I can't remember the, the his you know girlfriend or wife's name, but he's like, did you know? We'll go with Maria. <laughs> did you know she's at home with Carlos and they're currently like snorting cocaine and and sharing a jumbo in your you know in your kitchen right now and they're getting ready to go have you know go fuck on your special green sheets or whatever and like the look on the guy's face, he's like, what the fuck? He goes from like, oh, you're full of shit to like, oh, how how did you fucking know that? To like, oh my god, this you know. Yeah. And it's so perfect because Milton just like the entire time he's just and, and the way he wraps it up, he's just like he's like, Now, you know, if you get off this train right now, you can catch another one and you'll be home in time to catch him. And he's like, uh, you'll thank me in the morning, you know. Like he <laughs> he doesn't I mean, it's just like he does in the rest of the film, but it's so distilled and perfect. It's like he's setting this guy up, he's 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 prompting him to sin, but he's like you know, and he's already got the you know, the utility knife there to do it with, but Milton doesn't do it himself. He's, you know, he's setting the, you know, the the dominoes up for him to fall, basically. Yeah. And I just, I don't know. I mean, do you? Ha- I mean, what did you think of the scene? Other than that, I just, I mean, I just loved how, like, the whole way that he worked into it. 
That was a brilliant scene. Is this the? Was there more than one subway scene? There's one. I mean, there was a few actually. There's one more in particular uh, later on. Whenever Kevin has just defended Colin, he knows that Colin lied and actually was the murderer. Yeah. And he's got that. Okay, you know, so. he's got that moment of guilt, and then you know, Milton has that thing about you know, like you know, basically it's like, well, you had the option to stop this, you know, or you didn't have. You could have took the loss, you know. I didn't force you to do anything. And, uh, you know, that was... of course. Of course he has that. (laughs) (laughs) No, so it's this scene then, this subway scene, that one of the things that I like is how basically Milton's telling him, stay low, always stay underground. So that's why they're taking the subway. They're not taking a taxi or they're not taking a private car. You'll notice how whenever they're trying to get a witness somewhere or they want to get anybody anywhere, they said, oh, I'll get her in a car. I'll get them in a car. But for them, they're always on a subway traveling. They're they're always well. Actually, that scene's not. He's not just defended her yet. He knows that she's lying, and she's on her way in a car. That's exactly how the scene's set up. She's on her way in a car, and he's on the, the subway with Milton. And Milton's the one saying, "Well, you don't have to go through with this if you know if you really think she's yeah. lying. If you know one little, you know, because at the time, you know, she couldn't tell." She couldn't tell him quickly enough whether or not uh, Cullen was circumcised, and he's like, "Well, she's uh, well, and he's he's a good judge of character." Yeah, and so he knows he's like, "Well, she's lying," you know that that one thing, and then you know Milton's kind of like, "Are you sure?" You know, he's kind of trying to play on his doubt a little bit, but I mean, it, you know, it's it's kind of funny because they're traveling by subway, and you would think them being rich and stuff that they would go by you know some kind of posh way of getting back and forth, but Milton's preferred way of getting through there is the subway, and I don't know, and it's. Partially because of the subterranean thing and the, and being the devil, I'm sure that factors into it. And yeah, the other thing is too though, it puts him where the the people are at. And I'm sure that he lives for those scenes where, like with the thugs, where he can like set somebody up. You know, it's like he he's well, yeah, and it's the lower class people. Typically. Yeah, he's in the mix of it. He's just like, okay, you know, who can I? You know, oh, there's a person. He's like, and because he, he knows exactly what they're doing and what they're thinking. Like that's one of his abilities. You know, as the devil, he's like, okay, well, you've got this going on. You know, you know a way to fix it. You know, you can do this. And so I almost guarantee that's the reason he likes the subway, just because it puts him in the middle of all those people. You know, and uh, yeah, and this is a little bit of trivia, but originally. There was a uh, back in the early '90s, right after the the book was, you know, kind of obtained by Warner Brothers. Uh, they didn't move on with it, obviously. But when they went to Joel Schumacher at the time, who made the shitty Batman films with the bat nipples, <laughs> but he'd done some good movies before that. So this was before the bat nipples. So you know, there was a reason why they went to him, and they they had him draft up like his own version of this movie. And a they originally cast Brad Pitt for the role, which would have been interesting. Um, I would hate yeah. to see him, though, at the time, try to pull off a southern accent, too, because I don't know if you saw Seven Ugh. Years in Tibet, but, oh, my God, that's the worst accent I've ever heard in a movie. Um, but he, um, Joel Schumacher was going to set the entire film in a subway, I think, or at least most of the scenes, because hmm. he had the concept that the subways were the nine layers of hell, and he was going to work that theme into the movie. And maybe and maybe okay. a little bit of that, you know, rolled over in the edits and stuff, and that's kind of why the subway scenes happened in this film. Yeah, one way or another, whatever they, the primary reason they used it, which I did specifically hear Pacino say, always stay below ground, something around those, I might not be saying verbatim, but you noticed they were always together in a subway. So I thought that was kind of cool. It, it was, and I think that's, uh, you know, a neat little way that they did that as far as, like, you know, just uh, you wouldn't think that, you know, like I said, you know, he, he's the king of the world, base, or at least his little world there he had in New York. Why would he be traveling by subway? It makes, until you start thinking about, you know, some of the other things, you know, and, and kind of what it symbolizes. Yeah. We kind of jumped over a scene, um, and I see you had it in your notes, and I actually had it in my notes, too. We had, we have very similar notes, which is actually pretty funny. Because we don't discuss our notes prior to the show. Um, But we jumped over how after the boob scene and Marianne got to see, you know, the true character of these ladies, or at least one of them, how she really fucking lost it after that. And she's at the house screaming and crying at Kevin, and she's telling him how she doesn't like it. And she gives him all the real stuff aside from, I don't, recall having heard her say what she saw in terms of the demon face she might have because that does come out a little bit later when he's talking about her having hallucinations and Mm -hmm. stuff 
But she did say, I don't like it here. I don't know anybody. Um, I'm always in this house. I used to have a job. Now I'm just doing all this stupid stuff to this stupid house and I hate it here. And I'm like, I fucking feel her. <laughs> like, I would absolutely look at it. It doesn't matter how much money you're making, okay? Yes, I get to be this stay-at-home wife and have this quotation mark glamorous life. That would be miserable. All she's doing is, you know, trying to throw wallpaper up and decorate this posh home, and it's like she has no real purpose. There's people who like doing that, but a lot of us, that's not what we want to do, you know? Yeah, that's, that's actually a good point. That. There's another thing I love about that scene, and it plays into the rest of the movie. She's the one that says, "She's like, this is a test. This is all of a. This whole thing is a test, and it's like it is. And she's the only person that realizes it. You know, um, yeah, she gets it really fucking fast. And it's just like you know, it shows her just. I mean, it's it's a good scene because of what you just mentioned about how real it is, but it also shows her as a character how perceptive and how like even though she's seeing these fantastical looking things, she's got to the heart of it. Like she's the only person that knows exactly. She knows what's going on. Maybe not the full extent of it like Milton does, but she knows the 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 pressure cooker they've been put in, and you know she's trying to get Kevin to go with her and get away from it. And, you know, but, you know, his vanity, which is the whole thing about this movie, will not allow him to step away from the Cullen case. That's, he's trapped by it. Yeah, it feels like in almost every scene in this movie, and I could be over-exaggerating, but majority of the scenes in this movie are all a test. And they do it really well. They, ri- they wrote it very well. They're, they're all a test of some kind, and then you'll notice in a lot of the scenes, any time that he's halfway debating listening to his wife or his mother or whoever might be the voice of reason for him, something, he gets a phone call or something happens, and it's, you know, in, in a newspaper or whatever, some big new development has happened in the Cullen case, and now he's in the shit of things again, and he's got to, you know, and so he has to drop everything. It's like... Every time that he halfway, you know, tries to take a step back and try to do something different, you know, or think about it from a different point of view, he gets a little bit more pressure, you know, a little bit more of the turn of the screw put to him or whatever. And that might be, and I'm thinking that's Milton obviously working behind the scenes, not doing anything directly. He never does, but, you know, kind of setting up things. Maybe he's feeding the newspapers this information. Maybe he's getting people to confess things, you know, and with his, you know, his ability to do what he does. But it's all, it always seems like every time that, that Kevin thinks about maybe, you know, doing something different, he gets a little bit more pressure applied to him. If you enjoyed this episode of Death Holler, part two of The Devil's Advocate, please look out for our final coverage of The Devil's Advocate. Death Holler is brought to you by Blue Collar BS with your host, the Reverend Dr. Death and La Yarena. Please like, subscribe, follow, and share. We'll catch you next time. And don't forget to bring your death certificate.